Now, high drama is very similar to comedy. It's all a matter of... Paul to open. Paul to open. Yes, and what do you do? Do you not ride the ship of time? Does it not deceive the senses being larger within than without? And I have an ace up my sleeve. Do me a favour. Very funny. Geronimo! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, where we've given you a synthesizer version of the sound of drums. Uh, this is a very, very random order podcast where we go through the whole of Doctor Who story, history, and the TV show in completely random order. And my name is Chris Taylor. My name's Pete Paschal, and Chris and I are a couple of guys, a couple of journalists, a couple of longtime fans of the show, really into it, whether it is a synthesized opening, a mysterious <laughs> opening, a spacey, timey music opening, or whatever. We love all the openings. Yeah, yeah. We're going to vary our sound of drums a little bit more often now. And uh, Speaking we of openings... We might talk about openings more. <laughs> <laughs> we might talk about openings more. Openings are very important to Doctor Who fans. And uh, so are recaps. So a, a recap of what has happened previously on Pull to Open. Three episodes ago, long, long ago, we were at Legopolis. And then we went... Longopolis. Longopolis, long ago, where the Watcher then got in his TARDIS and took us to the Carnival of Monsters, where we escaped from the miniscope, and uh, we took quite a while to arrive uh, back on Earth in Spearhead from Space. We have now left the Pertwee era. The randomizer has not listened to our requests that we go to the new show again. It never does. does. We're we're trapped, people. We're trapped in the classic series. Uh, But we are close now because we are at season 26, serial one, Battlefield, our very first Sylvester McCoy. Are you excited, Pete? I'm super excited. McCoy, McCoy. What can I say about McCoy? He's, he's very the, the real McCoy. <laughs> and yeah. he he's the real Scottish doctor, right? The original. The original, the you first. You might say. Uh, some might say the best. I'm not sure who would say that, but um, you know, we, we, we've we've <laughs> well, room the best for all one opinions. who had the most question marks in his attire. You know, like, definitely the most question marks. We'll we'll get to the extra question marks and exactly how extra that is. Uh, but first, we, we are a podcast, not just 17 TikToks in a trench coat, and we we get reviews and feedback and all sorts of things in our new segment that we call Pull to Open Feedback Loop. Yes, here we are in the feedback loop, guys, and we, the first up, as always in the loop, are reviews, and with that is your obligatory reminder Reviews are great. We enjoy them. We enjoy it when you leave them. And uh, it's really great. It improves our visibility in the podcast app, particularly the Apple one, where most of the reviews, it's one of the only ones you can do reviews, but they really, really do help in that app because it's obviously super, super popular. So if you have a second, please pause the playback. Why not just open up the reviews part of uh, the pull to open page and leave a couple of characters, leave a, hey, a rating, a you know, write whatever you want, uh, and you know we would be forever grateful. Yeah, and yeah. also like to read it out on the show, which I will do in a second with one 
absolutely just seriously this is one of those things where like i I know some of us who are apple fans like never use safari except for when there's an apple event i feel like that this is the equivalent of that you may not use the podcasts app but if you're on an iphone right now just pull down your screen search for podcasts find us in podcasts leave a review there and you don't need to open the podcast app again you can go back to whatever it was you're previously using you don't even have to hunt down that folder on your iphone that just says apple crap (laughs) (laughs) Which includes tips and maps and whatever. I kid Apple, of course. Yeah. Um, you send to the letters P O D and podcast. <laughs> you want me? You want me? You're ready for me? Finally, it's my moment in the sun. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's one time. Speaking of moments in the sun, I have a moment in the sun for someone named or someone with the handle Thinking underscore Fish Thinking mm. Fish, who left this review in Apple Podcast. They're residing in the United States of America, fellow American. Um. And it goes like this. The title, Two Whovians Who Chew Over Doctor Who. Mm. Hosts chat about random episodes over its 50-year history. Defiantly aimed at Doctor Who fans who have some basic grounding in the show's legendary strewn history. However, you don't have to be a deep nerd to enjoy this podcast. It helps if you watch the episodes they talk about, but I found that even a quick dive into YouTube search helps get an idea of the characters and plot of the show. Thank you, hmm. Thinking Fish. Exactly. I like this. This is obviously very matter of fact as reviews go, but I I, I think it's, I, I like tips on sort of how to listen to the show. And yeah, I it's, like, it's also good yeah. to get that feedback, right? That that we maybe mm-hmm. we have gone a little too specialist. We are kind of, you know, deep nerdy fans. I, I do like that we're sort of slightly different levels of fandom. You know, I think Pete, you're, you're kind of a bigger fan of the classic show. You know, the differences in our fandom is emerging. A lot of stuff, like for example, Battlefield, mm-hmm. I'm watching for the first time, so I'm definitely more of a casual fan in that regard. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe we can be a bit more uh, inclusive. I think we do strive to include the, the casual fans and everything we're saying. Um, so that's not only a great five star review, but yeah. also good feedback on on how uh, how we should talk, how much we should. Uh, let people in. It is, of course, great that we do the TLDW summaries. I would argue that might be even better yes. than than going around on YouTube uh, and and finding a, a video mm-hmm. about the show that we're watching. Uh, yeah. That's that's why we do that up front. Yeah, I'd be curious to, for feedback, actually, to ask for direct feedback of some of our listeners. Even if you've left a review already, how do you like the TLDWs? Yeah. And what other segments of the show do you really look forward to? Feel free to suggest some. Um, you know, this is a democracy, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> it's democracy with a final uh, dictatorship call for it's, other than the two of us, I guess. It's a democracy you know, run by a, a capricious randomizer um, who, yeah. who ignores all democratic requests. Yes, whatever but, you whatever you suggest has to be signed off by the randomizer. That's you know, it's just the randomizer. It's not us. It's them. Yep. They make the ultimate decision. Um. Yeah. Great stuff. Thanks again, Thinking Fish. And you could be Thinking Fish as well if you all you have to do is just leave that review. Go ahead and do it. Could be an emoji, could be a few characters, or, you know, some more helpful instructions on how to listen. It'd be great. Indeed. Um, and one of the first 50 reviews will get the prize that we've been talking about in many previous podcasts. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on, shall we? To YouTube. That will happen someday. Yeah. 
YouTube. The phenomenon is growing. The phenomenon called Poll to Open the YouTube page, which is, of course, at youtube.com poll to open, or sorry, slash poll to open between those two things. Uh, we're continuing to upload season two, so previous episodes that we hadn't had on YouTube. They're, they're continuing there. So the Pyramid at the End of the World and the Lie to Land is one of the latest ones, as well as Inferno, Dark Water, Death in Heaven. Um, it's been fun to sort of listen to where the podcast used to be and the sort of yeah. twists and turns. We sure did a lot of Capaldi in the early days. Yeah, that was when <laughs> we, the randomizer really, was really super in love with him. The randomizer used to be so in love with with the new show, and, and now it's fallen in love with the classic one. It's, it's fascinating uh, twists and turns that it's taking us on. Um, meanwhile, uh, you're not just mm -hmm. watching us on YouTube and Spotify; uh, you're also watching us on TikTok. Yeah, so TikTok is still alive; it's still happening, and we've sort of rebooted a little bit there after the hiatus, but. Uh, still our most active network. We love engaging with you guys. We love all the comments and we love to share, of course, clips of the show every week, several of them. Um, so we also have a TikTok comment of the week. And this is about one of our Carnival of Monsters videos. So mm -hmm. as you recall, we talked about when we did that podcast, the doctor's activist past when he petitioned the High Council of the Time Lords, apparently, to ban miniscopes throughout the cosmos. Right. And well, I so, guess... So he claimed to Joe. <laughs> That's, yeah. That was his story, right? Yeah. And he stuck and into it. I guess they actually did it. Um, so I just found this an interesting comment because it's, it's really like, we like to explore these facets of the show and what they mean. And someone with the handle... Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Syrian Syrian, yeah. Syrian Ivy, Syrian Ivy mm -hmm. um, says there's contrary opinions in all of who on the doctor's significance whilst he was on Gallifrey. Was he a political exile or a nobody who just left? Yeah, and you, exactly, you, yeah. right? It, it, it kind of depends on what episode you're watching, but it is it's an interesting to see what the point of the writer was trying to make by doing those things and then how do you reconcile it with the rest of the history which is super fun you gotta love a show that just sort of defiantly ignores one of the major questions at the center of like why why did the doctor run away we've had different answers uh i think the, the one in heaven sent was, was probably the best um version of that but the show is just sort of kind of it just kind of throws it out there and and you have the ability now even in 2022 to think either the doctor was some sort of exile perhaps a political exile or he was just a guy who just stole a type 40 tardis because a a random uh, brunette told him to um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and and which then, of those do you prefer, Chris? What do you like? I kind I of know. like the the mixture of both, right? That the Doctor hmm. discovers as he journeys that he can create a legend for himself. This is why the Doctor lies is because he loves to reinvent his own history all the time, literally reinventing his face all the time, um, and and his past can change too. Um, hmm. Yes, yeah, I, 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 that's pretty cool. I like to sort of come down more on the side. He was just kind of a nobody. And I know that's probably, mm. if you look at the number of uh, episodes this is explored, and certainly in the Whitaker era, it's been completely cast out. Mm. Um, but it's probably still in the minority. And I, But I, I, what was one of the aspects of the Deadly Assassin when we visited it that I really liked, that he wasn't really well known, that the people there, mm. even when he got there, didn't really know who he was. And I just like the idea that 
you know, the message that you can be just a nobody. It doesn't matter what your background is relatively. Yeah. Um, it's the decisions you make and how you approach things and the friend, you know, the journey, if you will, the friends you make along the way, et cetera, et cetera, that really make you a legend. And yeah, yeah. I've always liked that message, um, which is a little bit like, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Well, actually not ahead of myself because it was one of our first podcasts, but one of the, the, the whole timeless child arc leaves me a little bit yeah. cold for that reason. Hey, well, exactly. And we are going to get into the timeless child in talking about Battlefield because we have to talk about the doctor's past. Right. Uh, in, in in all of this, but yeah, it does complicate the future thing. Uh, but one thing we can say is that the Doctor is pro- was probably not a political activist or a major one, because he's had so many opportunities to be Lord President of Gallifrey. Um, right, and well, he was always, for a while. He was. He's run away from it. He's run away from his uh, President of the World duties. Like he's just not a kind of uh, stick to it kind of political guy. So you know. Uh, he's, yeah. he's he's the man who runs away in a box. Exactly, the man exactly. who forgets. Couldn't uh, say it speaking, better myself. Um, speaking of forgetting, we should not forget the late mm-hmm. great Bernard Cribbins. Yeah, so one of our TikTok um, followers, uh, uh, Austin. Thank you, Austin Mason, reminded us of this in sometime in the last couple of weeks, and just left a comment uh, around when it happened because this is actually a few weeks ago now. Um, R.I.P. Bernard Crimmins. And uh, I know we're probably the latest, <laughs> the Doctor Who podcast is getting this to this bit of news the latest, but uh, I, I just didn't want it to completely get too far out that we didn't even acknowledge it. And, you know, he was obviously such a major part of the new series uh, playing, of course, uh, uh, Wilfred. Yeah. And, uh, um, but he also like goes all the way back to the very he beginning does. of Doctor Who as well. And, and, and to the Cushing as, Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he was in, uh, da- what, oh God, I, the, the title is always a little weird. It's Doctor Who Daleks Invasion 21, I'm totally 2150. Yeah, yeah. The other one, the, the Dalek Invasion. <laughs> that one. They were both Dalek ones. Yeah, yeah, and he had the great idea to shoot the Dalek in the eye stalk with a, with a paintball gun, and RTD was so enthused about that 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 he put it in. Um, mm. You know, it's just a some it's just a perfect example of what the show can do when it's not taking itself too seriously when it can take uh, advice from from the mighty Bernard Cribbins, who I remember from you know we're going to talk today about Sylvester McCoy and remembering him from uh, BBC other BBC children's shows. Bernard Cribbins was, was all over BBC children's shows. He was also all over a show called Jack and Nori, where you just, you just told stories, uh, literally just famous actors reading books to screen. And it was absolutely captivating. So I will always think of that when I think of Bernard Cribbins. He had such a comforting voice. I would, you know, I would totally, you know, just put YouTube videos of what you just described on repeat and (laughs) would do it every night. Yeah, I'll the, to it. That would be amazing. The BBC is missing a trick not not launching its own sleep podcast where they just all broadcast <laughs> all Jack and Ori. So it would be fantastic. There it is. Yeah. Guys, you know, go ahead and give us a call or, you know, give us the check whenever you uh, get that going. <laughs> yep. Uh, RTD. Call us. All cool. right. So there's not a lot of other new business. Obviously, Doctor Who is still on hold uh, for a bit until the centenary special. Mm-hmm. which we still don't have a release date of, but is rumored to be in sometime in October. Um, 
though there was a little bit of news about it, sort of quote unquote news just today in the Radio Times. And I was just actually reading this right before we started taping. And it's it's not much in the way of news other than just saying that there's probably going to be more nostalgia and cameos than you will expect you would expect from the trailer <laughs> uh which of course we know sophie aldred and Janet fielding are returning probably in a big way there's mm-hmm. probably going to be a lot more cameos from various people either from new who or classic who and apparently um jody whittaker's doctor is going to wear some stuff from the old uh doctors perhaps that might wow be. can't doctor... wait to see how she uh rocks up a, a stick of celery on her lips. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor cosplaying the doctor is just such a great, <laughs> great idea. I love the idea of a doctor convention that is just staffed and and containing different regenerations of the doctor, all dressed as each other. I'm sure someone's done this, but someone must have done like the the I guess Uber doctor or whatever, like something from everyone, whether it's yeah. the scarf, the celery, the question mark umbrella. You know, and, th- and just throw them all together and maybe sew like a few different coats together. <laughs> Everything Ooh. from like 10 inch long coat to a Pertwee cape um, and just just throw it all together and just kind of like you'd, you're kind of this patchwork quilt of a doctor. I think. That would and the Colin Baker section of that patchwork quilt is just a patchwork quilt within a patchwork quilt. Yeah. Maybe that's ultimately what the six doctors coat was. That's what his episode was. He's just trying to get everything together. He was, the, yeah, the six doctor just went absolutely balmy. He was trying, he was you know, doing that thing late at night that cosplayers do, stitching the costume together. And he just had a little episode, uh, as it were. And uh, that was the result. Yeah. Terrible awesome. cosplay attempt. Yes, that's that's <laughs> this, right. the show has some history of that, I think. Um, so is okay, it time? Yeah, I think it's time. I think we got to quit stalling. And even though I'd <laughs> like to keep going on all the cosplay, um, we've got to get to here, get to what we're here to talk about, which is, of course, Battlefield. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm throwing myself on the altar here, Chris, by just is, going into yeah. this because we I kind of want to get it over with. We do start every every show, uh, every review of the random story with TLDW. Now, I, I know that if, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, and a lot of you are, increasing number of you are, you may have seen last week's TLDW. I, I appear to be looking down. Um, and in fact, I am. I'm sort of looking down at my keyboard and kind of trying to recollect the story. And for some some reason there's a focal point in my keyboard that might look like i'm looking at notes uh we are not we <laughs> we close all our windows like you can always see this moment where pete's screen goes kind of a little bit darker when he's doing tldw mm-hmm. he's closing all his tabs he doesn't even want a stray mention of any of the characters to disturb it because this we take our tldw seriously people we know that you don't have a lot of time to watch Doctor Who, you don't have as much time as you would like to watch Doctor Who. You may not remember Battlefield, you may not have seen Battlefield, but we are going to summarize Battlefield for you in two minutes, or rather, Peter's. Um, <laughs> and to be clear, what I was saying, yeah. I want to get it over with. It's this portion of the podcast, the TLDW. Mm. Not, mm. The, I'm excited to talk about a lot of this story and what the implications of it are, but. Oh this is my! A, this is a nice grounding. Oh my! This one, this yeah. one is like. Yeah. Oh my, I, I've just been honestly dreading this all week because I know it was my turn. <laughs> and I'm That's sorry, like like TLDW is all, all, you know, on a good week, it's a mess. Like 
I'm starting with a mess <laughs> here to work with, and I'm just gonna like create some other kind of mess to, to make make sense. It, in spin this time. mess into gold, my friend. You're going to yeah. make a silk purse of the sow's ear of a story. Um, okay, and, so I've, uh, I've closed all my windows here. Yeah, we give you, hidden. we give you, 30, we give each other thirty seconds per classic episode of, of, right. of 30 minutes so you have a whole two minutes for this four-parter that is called battlefield and are you ready sir oh my god <laughs> i guess can, can i say something other than yesterday <laughs> to like, we, yeah, know, we just pause it right here to, we can talk about something else the destroyer um, yeah we just talk about gardening um, which no, is let's, clue. Let's, get, let's get it right in let's, right. let's just do it man this is this is going to be fun <laughs> All right, Battlefield summarized in two minutes or less, starting in three, two, one, go. Okay, the Brigadier is retired and he's buying a plant with his wife. And at while this is happening, there is a distress call being sent out, apparently by a sword that's under a lake somewhere, possibly in a spaceship. The doctor detects it and is coming to see what's going on. And it coincidentally or not, there's a nuclear missile that's sort of in this area that's been sort of run off the road. And there's sort of an issue going on with that. But at the same time, this, uh, this apparently the, the the sword has attracted these sort of people, these knights that are coming from space, seconds. not just from space. They're actually from another dimension, and they there's one on there's one good one and a bunch of bad ones, and they start to fight. And then the doctor comes in and to the unit guys and says, "I'm the doctor," and you're like, "Who? What? Who is this guy?" And then they kind of one guy remembers him from the '70s, and they call the brigadier uh, the, the, who was just buying things, even though there's a new brigadier. Her name's Bambera, but he was buying things with his wife, and he comes out of retirement because the doctor's involved and so what happens is these knights start to fight and there's there's one a minute. there's a big sort of one of them gets uh knocked out it's the good knight they befriend them with the doctor and ace and everybody and they eventually track the sword under the lake which is sending out this distress call they realize that the doctor actually was involved a future incarnation of him was involved and sent uh the distress call out brought everyone together uh the morgane who is the queen of the bad knights actually comes from across the dimensions and decides to take control because she really wants this sword for some reason but to get it she'll do anything including summon the destroyer who is this blue creature who could just uh, lay waste everything but the brigadier because unit is actually on the job now has silver bullets and shoots the destroyer and it blows up even though all the other knights and uh the <laughs> unit guys kill each other but well that's happened that leaves the nuclear missile vulnerable. Morgan tries to take control of it, destroy the world with a doctor, talks her out of it, and thus disarms the nuke. Uh, everybody sort of goes home and has a cute moment where and the, doctor <laughs> the doctor is about to make something. Yes, I think I think we can call that a a success. You got you got to the final scene. <sighs> You know what I totally forgot, and I yeah. did. I just realized this right at the end. I never mentioned the Doctor's Merlin, <laughs> and it's Arthurian legend, even though it's kind of all implied. Yes, um, it is implied that the Doctor is Merlin, has been Merlin. I think to uh, echo the show, we're we're gonna like frustratingly be put that way later in the podcast. Like we're, we're just gonna. <laughs> Keep your interest. Put a pin in that. The Doctor being Merlin, perhaps one of the right. most important things ever said in the entire show. Uh, well, yeah, just there. Uh, okay, he's Merlin, right? Uh, but also, uh, I would say one thing that you uh, it perhaps is important, but the story is such a mess. Who even knows? 
um, that we don't even mention is that Morgane is talked out of launching the nuclear missile because she learns that Arthur is dead. Yes, right. Yeah, uh, and that's the final thing that the Doctor finds is that you know Arthur it, is kind of just dust. Yeah, and uh, honestly, that's the moment I think that saves the show in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, one, it's really dramatic. It's one of the Doctor's best speeches. Honestly, like I, I think it's this episode's a bit underrated, and McCoy himself underrated um, for that that scene alone, almost. Mm. Um, but it's actually like the whole time you're kind of thinking like you know, Hoborkane, who is this woman? What is she doing? Like, what does she care? What is her motive? And yeah. you kind of get it. You finally get it there. And it's like, oh, you know, she's, yes, she's a ruler. She's kind of interested in conquest. Um, she wants people to bow to her. But ultimately, she was defining herself by her relationship with Arthur. Yeah. And when she realized he's not there, she she just had, she, she loses it. She loses her motivation completely. She just yeah. doesn't want to do anything. Uh, and uh, it suddenly humanizes her. Now she should have yeah. been humanized by the fact that she um, gave sight to uh, the, the the wife of the the publican uh, right. in, in, at the uh, the Gore Crow subplot. Hotel. There was a little subplot there. Yeah, the Gore Crow Hotel, by the way, where the doctor <laughs> said, "What could possibly go wrong in the Gore Crow Hotel?" Um, I gotta but, say, yeah. they have really nice signage at the Gore Crow, Gore Crow Hotel, and that's <laughs> kind yeah. of one of those things about this episode i mean we can talk about the budget and the production values but it's nothing is uh it's not a lived universe in the same way that star wars is right you kind of yeah. like when you're if you're going to put on these fake signs like give them a little wear yeah. if you're you know it's got, it just looks like it was just put up for the show yeah yeah and it just uh, so many so many things wrong yeah. where do we start where do we even start but yeah. I, I will just just to finish that thought morgane have you ever read the mists of avalon i have the, not uh I highly recommend it. It's sort of a feminist take on the Arthurian legend. Uh, really interesting retelling of the story. Does focus a lot on Morgaine and her love for Arthur, which in Battlefield we only discover at the end. But they were like half-brother yeah. and half-sister and, and supposedly got it on maybe in some versions of the legend. And uh, it just, you know, it, it brings up a lot of issues. We maybe should have heard about that earlier than when she's deciding whether or not to launch a nuclear missile. Might have might have had some kind of tension in that moment there when she hears that he's dead. Um, but yeah, only revealing mm. that she loved him after he dies is a kind of weird, weird story choice. I'll just say that. Um, well... I gotta say, like I, I, like I say, I think it helps as a come together moment. I mean, you certainly get the sense that he's very, very important to her, um, and that she is, in fact, almost relishing this return to their conflict because right. he's clearly been out of action for centuries at this point, right? Um, and I, it's never clear to me. Again, there's there's a lot of things that are not clear to me. I mean, a lot. You know, I'm 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 just happy I got through that plot summary. But one yeah, of the seriously. things is. Um, I've never really understand why this happens now and hundreds mm. of years later. And all I can figure is this is when future Dr. Merlin decided to, to have it happen. And maybe it's the bootstrap paradox and like, well, right. I know my previous self that this happens in the late nineties or whenever this is supposed to be, I'll just set this to go off in the late nineties then. And it's like, fair enough. I mean, I guess the bootstrap back in 1989 was was probably not even an idea, or it was it was uh, if it was an idea, it wasn't called that at that point. It was very but, niche. Yeah, yeah. It was very very niche. But I mean, that's all point. I can figure. Like, why why mm. is this happening now? And what have what has everyone been up to for hundreds of years? I mean, we know Arthur has just been you know wasting away, but 
Morgaine in her own dimension. Uh, you know, I've I've in reading up on the background of this episode, I guess there's theories that she she was forced out by that final battle, right? Because they talk about a final battle with Arthur where he died. Mm. And I guess the doctor, you know, starts the rumor that he didn't really die and he's coming back, but brings his ship and his sword to our dimension. And then Morgaine is sort of forced off world in her native dimension and sort of becomes this more of a niche player for a long time and rules other planets. Yeah, you could make almost any change to Battlefield and actually make it a more interesting version of the story because there's so much mm. buried potential but i want to i want to bring us all the way back to to the beginning because this is our yeah. first look at sylvester mccoy's doctor and i i well, here in the podcast here on the podcast yes um yeah. here is, on our this is his last journey. season this is his <laughs> last season, season but yes. his third and final season i forgot he had three like that's how little i know about mccoy's doctor i i thought well, they were short just they were short seasons um, and this is the last one, and I, I feel like I should you know, de- declare our biases right at the start. I uh, was watching for all of Colin Baker's tenure when when Time and the Rani came out, and he just you have that awful regeneration scene at the start because Colin Baker didn't participate, and suddenly it's mm-hmm. Sylvester McCoy in a Colin Baker wig. So obviously, such a bad right. regeneration. I just I kind of rage quit Doctor Who at that point. And occasionally I would see McCoy episodes like I you know I sort of convinced myself that I'd grown out of it like it was you know I was a teenager it's like Doctor sure. Who wasn't cool anymore. Um and occasionally I, I would I would come <laughs> it was back cool. it was it was ever cool. Uh, it was cool. a lot cooler in the 70s and and mm. to a lesser extent the 80s. Um but certainly by 1989, it was not cool at all. I would occasionally see the Sylvester McCoy intro uh, at the time in 1989, and I would wince at mm. the time. I want I want this to be clear because it is a CGI intro. Obviously, looking back at it now, the CGI has not aged well. But right. I remember at the time using a very British word in my mind to describe what this intro was and what the whole vibe of McCoy's Doctor was, which is naff. It was just a bit <laughs> naff. It was a bit, a bit you know, naff. A, a bit naff. I suppose the modern equivalent, American equivalent, would be to say it's it's very mid. It's oh, mid, mid, mid. No, it's gone beyond meh. Mid, M I D, mid. This is what the kids say now. It's 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 like it's just very middling. It's just, eh. mm-hmm. it's like a barely a step up from basic. Um, it's definitely 1.0 CGI. Like yeah. it, you're 100 right. It's uh, I respect the choice in doing something totally different. Like we're throwing out the Vizu Starfield that served so well in the early 80s, mm. and they wanted to give McCoy something very distinctive. Um, and the wink, as much as it's kind of annoying. It does kind of set a tone, which I don't know. You could argue with the tone. It definitely sets a tone. I I would also argue with the tone. I don't think (laughs) you necessarily want that. I certainly actually don't think you want that in McCoy's last season. Right. And I'm not thinking specifically of this story, but I do think he got a little more cerebral. And I think Mm. that was generally a good thing. Um, So... I don't hate the intro. I, I actually, the intro, if I, if I hate an intro, which we definitely got to do a, th- a thing on intros at some point. Yep. Yep. I, I didn't like the, the Colin Baker one mostly because it's, he didn't get his own. 
right? Like he basically got a ripped off version of, of Peter Davison, even when they redid the music. Even technically so, Peter Davison didn't get his own either because it was Tom Baker's final season where they changed it, right? And they just yeah. put, uh, put uh, Peter Davison's face over Baker's face. Um, but yeah, but at least that, you know, it had a propulsiveness to it. You're moving forward through the Starfield, just you're moving mm-hmm. forward through the the uh, the time stream in, you know, the famous Tom Baker intro sequence. Um you know, I don't want to linger too too long on here, but like the the fa- McCoy's face with the wink, it just it still makes me cringe every time. Uh, also, the fact that yeah. like you see his hair is kind of brill cream back, and it's like, okay, well, th- is that what we're gonna see? Like, but no, we get the stupid hat. I just, I I have issues with McCoy. Hmm. I really want to say right out, I was I was watching this with my wife, and Sylvester McCoy is her doctor. And is the first doctor. And oh, she's, you know, very kind okay. of sensitive to McCoy criticism. So I want to say right up front, I love Sylvester McCoy. I think he's a great actor. Mm. He was, as I mentioned, all over British television. I particularly remember him from there's a kids' TV show called Jigsaw. And uh, okay. it was sort of a, a middle, a midweek, middle of the day kind of show for kids with lots of sort of, you know, fun stuff and curious problems and was a bit educational on that mccoy was fantastic on it he was so memorable he's such a, he's got such a twinkle and a spark to him he's he's a great actor i didn't ever really see him as the doctor i'm sorry i just didn't mm-hmm. I, I couldn't there was something about it. it wasn't just the bad handover from colin baker um it's i did finally in the t- at the start of the tv movie i was like okay sylvester mccoy now feels like the doctor but maybe it was just that all of his uh stories were shot mostly on video which just kind of looks a bit naff they make weird directorial choices about how to shoot him and how to light him they've always right. somehow make him look small um mm-hmm. smaller than he is and like with with Trout, trenton was also a small guy but he had Maybe it's that he had more of a booming, commanding presence than McCoy does. McCoy is more sort of a wizened, yeah. twinkling kind of actor. Um, but also, they, they shoot him from above instead of below. Like, you have to make the Doctor look big. Mm-hmm. Right? The Doctor does have to command a scene. And uh, McCoy, they, they just don't... Like, you don't see those sparkling eyes of his. There's not enough close-ups. Um it just, you know, it's not shot yeah. from below. He's wearing all of the question marks, which is just so, so right. extra. So extra. Like a, two question marks on the collars. I get it. An entire sweater. Okay, now, you know, now we're just being silly. JNT, yeah. now we're just being silly. I think what you're zeroing in on is kind of the mixed messaging that McCoy's mm. doctor started with. And yeah. he you know, the intro was unfortunately never changed. And I think it works for his first story, which is you get a lot of sort of comedic performance in when his regeneration scene. We'll talk about timing the running when we get there, but hmm. it's, it's, it's funny how different even starting in the next episode, the rest of his run ends up being. And by this point in his run, I, I think he's really commanding the role and he's really, this doctor's coming into his own. Unfortunately, you still have those beginning hints, and they're carried over mostly with costume with the question mark umbrella, the question mark jumper. It's like, he still looks just a bit silly. I don't mm-hmm. mind that he's not shot uh, from below and that he's not that tall. Um, I actually like the idea that it he, he's underestimated. And, mm-hmm. and I think that sort of leans into it. Plus he, he has ace for most of his run. 
Um, so he has an ace up his sleeve. Yeah, yes. it's it's not quite Batman and Robin. It's like almost like Robin and Robin. In a sense, like, yep. Robin one and Robin two, they're both just these quirky people that show up and they're kind of tiny. They both can really, you know, walk into something and kick ass in their own yeah. ways. So they just blow stuff up. Yeah. My issue, I guess, and I think this is actually the exception. So I don't want to go too far into this general commentary about um, Sylvester McCoy's run, but I do think mm-hmm. a lot of his shows end up sort of working better as novels than. Yeah shows and this is an exception i think battlefield is actually a good television episode um but it works um because you know i think there's there's a lot of action a lot of interesting characters great performances but there's a lot of like intellectual stuff going on and here it's at least relatively simple with the the destroyer being kind of a metaphor for nuclear devastation and some some other points they're sort of trying to make about uh, uh comparisons to arthurian legend um, so, so I think Battlefield generally works uh, as as a TV episode as much as it's complete nonsense. Um, but McCoy, <laughs> McCoy, it's funny. Like McCoy's arguably like the Doctor who had the longest run in a sense mm. because he kind of came in at eighty seven, and then I guess it, yes, McGann took over technically in ninety six. But I think in most people's minds, McCoy was the Doctor until there was a new uh, there was a new show. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a hardcore fan, sure, yeah, you, you had McGann stuff, and you had the audios and novels and stuff. But he had, like, there was, there was, the new adventures went on for so long with Sylvester McCoy, right? They were just yeah. seemed so reluctant to regenerate it, which, of course, they couldn't, right? Because it would be just not be non-canonical uh, if they did. Um, yeah, he definitely, so he definitely he, had a great yeah. second life, as Paul McGann did. Uh, as as the Doctor in in audio adventures, in the novels especially. I mean, I still really want to read Lungbarrow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that one that sort of gets really dives deep into the Doctor's myth, uh, led to this myth of there being an Andrew Cartmel master plan. Um, yeah. And... Uh, you think that's a myth? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, just sort of, you know, uh, a, a lot of who historians have kind of caught, poured cold water on this notion that there was a master plan beyond just sort of like we want the doctor to be a bit darker we want to start hinting introduce a, a little more mystery yeah yeah, yeah at, at a different totally. past but they didn't really have like an end goal and it just sort yeah of like, i mean how it manifests yeah. here is the console's a bit dark at the start <laughs> well and... this actually is that's a good transition into a chat about budget Yes. And uh, I believe, I, I could be wrong, but I believe that is the only shot of the interior of the TARDIS for the entire season. It is. Because it's they the last just, one. Yeah, they didn't have any money for the set uh, mm-hmm. or just sets in general. And they just threw something together that looked relatively cheap. And, but going further, I mean, you know, this, the unfortunate thing about the last few years of Doctor Who, I mean, the budget was cut and cut and cut. And this is obviously a lot to do with sort of issues of politics at the BBC and the famous stuff with Michael Grade and whatever. Mm. But here, I, I, it always has bothered me in this episode in particular, but most of McCoy's sort of final season, everything just looks and feels so cheap. The, mm. It looks like they're doing everything on one take um there's there's not really like beam effects even in the weapons which not would have looked but it's like it's like they're not even trying to some extent at least with the budget like i'm not saying like 
the creative people weren't up to the task. I, I, they were, the actors are all giving it their all hundred percent, but there's clearly like, I, I don't know if they even have anything even approaching a stunt choreographer because all that sword fighting, it, it just looks like it's so stage, you know, like it's just, yeah. you know, pantomiming it's, it and like, it's sub Ren isn't it? It's, it's, it's yeah. below what you would expect if you went to a Ren this sword fighting. There's a, there's a great moment where the doctor walks through the middle of a sword fight, just parts their swords, yeah, walks through funny. the middle of them. And, and it's sort of a meta commentary on how bad the sword fighting is. Now, if they just stuck to that throughout, unfortunately, a large part of battlefield depends on, you know, the, what I'm sure they thought were going to be big battle scenes and and lots of sword fighting and you know on it it can't decide if it's serious or not um, yes exactly and i there's the the worst if there's there's like a bunch of contenders for worst doctor who effect in this one and now i i remember we've done talons of wang chiang okay like <laughs> yeah we know I from know what effects the, yeah so the where the knight's land is pretty bad seeing those sort of i don't know what there are coffins meteors whatever that looks really bad but when Anselin, the good knight gets thrown by the explosion through the roof it's it's not just bad it seems like it's consciously bad and yeah. it was funny to watch this with the commentary so they had the a group of people including sophie aldred baron aronovich who was the writer uh andrew cartmill and others commentating ben aronovich was like oh my god no do we have to watch this scene? like basically like <laughs> oh here it comes and you could you could feel him squint and wince as they show it and so I don't think they were going for humorous, right? And yeah. yet it comes across that way. He's just sort of thrown through the roof in this really goofy way. There's even like a sound effect, like, like it's just. <laughs> there oh, there are so God. many, so many moments like that where it's just like, were you trying to to create the worst Doctor Who that you could do? And 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 for me, like it's, I don't know if this is just sort of like uh, confirmation bias, right? We we know now that it's the last season of the classic series. But to me, the, the overarching feeling I got watching Battlefield, and again, you know, I was trying to stay neutral, I was watching with Syl- Sylvester McCoy fan, the overarching sense I got was of a show slowly committing suicide. Mm, um, right from right. from the intro, she seemed so spent. Like, even just put a few more stars in, guys. <laughs> I just don't know why. It just seems so spare and so basic. Um, right through to stuff like they get a, they literally helicopter the brigadier into the plot literally helicopter him in uh mm-hmm. you know that's that's how he emerges in the story in a helicopter but also like they stick him in that helicopter they stick him out there and he's looking down on london in the sunrise and talking about how beautiful it is the helicopter pilots talking about how you've seen one helipad you've seen them all like this is a show that there's, there's a famous samuel johnson phrase if you're if a man is tired of london he's tired of life this is a show that's literally tired of london right they, they, they well, have this conversation about like eh, london's all the same eh, bureaucracy eh, eh, it doesn't, well, doesn't they also even... just don't even show stock footage yeah. you know what i mean like they don't even like i mean either they couldn't afford it or whatever just thought it would be weird but it, it is like this thing where the actors are really trying to sell what they're seeing and i guess you're kind of buying it but it's i don't know to, to me that just felt like padding and i, I would have loved to see more just explanations on like yeah. what the hell is going on yeah there's it um, doesn't have to be and i think it's interesting we came here from spearhead from space which shows what you can do on a limited budget you can like you know right. use use actors twice as 
scary body doubles with the autons, right? That's one example of if you have a bit of imagination, here's what you can do on zero budget. I think it, it seems clear and it's a very bizarre thing when we finally see the destroyer in episode four. He's mm-hmm. actually really good. Yeah. The costume is good. It's Buffy. It's a very Buffy uh, demon, basically, right? Very much is. And honestly, like, it's funny. It came, well, I guess a decade plus before um, this episode of Buffy, but it reminded me a lot of The Judge. I don't know if you know Buffy, but in season two, they they summon this blue creature who's going to destroy the world and, you know, needs to be freed and stuff. It's like, I I got to think, it's funny, like, how Buffy and Doctor Who, I think, have inspired each other. And I don't know if Joss Whedon mm. maybe was thinking of this particular episode, but yeah, it's very much a Buffy creature. I mean, the lips move. They definitely like some money definitely stuck to the destroyer. Yeah. They, um, they had a saliva budget. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the money went. Good when the, it's all literally pouring out of the destroyer's out. mouth. Yeah. But I liked what you, the comparison you made to Spearhead from Space, because I'll sort of go back to one of the things I mentioned about that one, because that was all done in film. I feel mm. like that has aged much better than this episode and a lot of late Doctor Who, because at some point, and I believe it was right around McCoy, when McCoy took over, they stopped doing film altogether and everything yeah. was just done on video, even the location yeah. work, which is technologically, it's fine. I just feel like the frame rate of video, and this might just be a taste thing, but I just think it it adds a layer of cheapness. It makes it look like you're watching the news or something that was on the news as opposed to yeah. um, uh, something something on film. Um, very, very true. Um, and for it all to go in the Destroyer at the end in the final episode is just a very, very weird choice. And the, by the way, did you also see the scene where the, like, the Destroyer kind of rips his shirt open? Right, yeah. When, when he's I'm out freed. of this chain mail. I guess that was yeah. silver too. I thought the chains were just silver. It was very weird. Maybe he's just like, he's doing a Hulk Hogan moment, right? It's a very convenient thing so the Brigadier can shoot him. But it also looks very, very 80s, very MTV, hair metal music video. Like, you know, the Destroyers. Like, I wanted White Snake to kick in at that point. Yeah. Here I go again. Like, it's just, the it, good. he's got he's the hair. scary. And I don't mean this as a criticism because I didn't notice at the time, but does he ever actually do anything? Like, what does he do? <laughs> Supposedly he eats worlds. Um, I don't know how that works. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just, it would have been good to see some, whether it's, you know, kind of like they show the reality bomb in, you know, the new series of Journey's End, you yeah. know, just vaporize a bunch of people all at once. It would have been good to see him do something of a certain scale and horror that was crazy. And then you realize, oh my God, this is this is going to be bad, and someone has to stop this guy. Uh, we kind of just know from his voice and how he looks. I guess you have to, but um, it, he's going to make Ace uh, and and her new friend, whose name are, uh, I'm forgetting, um, who was originally going to be called Ty. Um, for, yeah, I forget you know, her name too. I'm gonna have to look yeah. it up. But she was great. I thought but she, she was, was great. But he was gonna make them the, his handmaidens in hell, which is kind of that cliffhanger at the end of episode three, where mm. Jean Marsh as Morgane has that great line: "Handmaidens in hell, Shaolin, uh, Shaolin, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah." Which we we should mention up front, Shaolin. Uh, you know, obviously, this 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 is a show that's trying to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. It's trying to enter the 90s and it kind of does so in this really creaky 
uh, wince-inducing fashion. And one of the things it does include now on BritBox a sensitivity warning for episode three, where uh, Ace, under the influence of Morgane, deploys a slur, uh, a racial slur, commonly used towards Asian people. Uh, two of them, actually. Um at, at the end of that episode and they it's kind of it's it sort of works because they hug afterwards they were like oh my god i'm so sorry but like it's it's so weird to hear like that level of racism come out of ace's mouth um that it just yeah sort of it's stops good, you it's good that the, it does a little bit and it's good that you know there's the cover of like she's kind of under mind control hmm. um so yeah it's you, uh it's, it's you should it's, feel like show young um, should have should have had a uh, you know, an opportunity to say something back. Uh, you know, like she just stands there and takes it, takes this these racial slurs. But yeah, well, Bizarre. and I, I think you could, if they had added a scene in episode four where they really make up for that specifically, like mm. Ace says something like really remorseful. Yeah. I think that it, it, I think it still w- would still work, and you could still leave it in. In other words, I mean, I think you still need sort of trigger warning because that's just what you do today. But yeah. um, it, it, I think you, for just morally in the story, I think you, you could use an extra layer there. Um, so it's anyway, also it's just, weird. A little it's bit also, that it didn't age well. It's also a weird mm-hmm. choice to make the the brigadier, even if he's joking, just a little bit more sexist than he was in Spearhead from Space. Right, we've right. just come straight from that. So, Bambera, so the brigadier or... Bambera, you know, this brigadier Bambera, the brigadier says to uh, uh, to the helicopter pilot, "Good chap, is he?" Uh, well, know. I mean, that's that's pretty mild, as you know. It it's is. just an assumption, and particularly someone at the brigadier's age, it's you know. It's, but it's, 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 this is why the random journey that we're on is interesting, right? We just come from Spearhead from Space, where the brigadier is just. You know, the, the, he had no issue with hiring Liz Shaw, uh, with or with sort of overly drawing attention to her gender, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Spearhead from Space, it is in fact the bluff old major general who's a little bit sexist, who's like Brigadier. You didn't tell me you had such a charming, charming pretty right, thing right. working in your lab, you know. Um, so we've just gone from the Brigadier being ahead of the times to him being behind the times with this sort of weird sexist joke about Bambera. Um, well, but he so doesn't make the joke. It's just choices. a joke in the script, you know. Like in other words, it's it's less of it's a less a character thing here in this case is sort mm-hmm. of a show thing. Um, so the thing is about mm-hmm. Bambera and the Brigadier, I I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how I feel about Bambera is kind of where I'm trying to go. Just because mm-hmm. I feel like it, uh, while most of the guest cast is good and I think she's fine, I don't think the show quite knows what to do with her other than she's a woman and then she's, she gets to kind of be badass, and maybe mm. that's enough. Um, but you kind of almost, when there's two brigadiers, they're, they're never really, they're not on screen much together. And there's mm. never a, like a who's in charge moment, which I feel like is a bit of a missed opportunity. You okay. know, like, I feel like you kind of want there to be uh, almost like an official passing of the torch or unofficial passing of the torch where, you know, yes, we all love the Brigadier. We want to see him, uh, you know, have that heroic scene at the end and all all that stuff. But I, I do also do want to, I want to like that Barrel. Like I mm-hmm. want to see her and I do in a few scenes, but I don't think she ever has a defining moment. And ultimately she ends up apparently giving the launch codes at the end, which is a bit of a, 
unfortunate moment for her. And I think they, they should have done that differently. I think whether it's either it's not her or there's some, uh, way to make it a little more sympathetic because I, I, I did sort of leave that hanging. Like, wait a minute, how did, how did they get that out of her? Cause she knows it's the end of the world if she gives right. it. Right. It's such a weird choice. And, and she's mostly sort of, she's sort of half falling for Anselin uh, right. throughout this, which, you know, would be kind of cool and edgy if the show had actually had the guts to go there at this point. Um, yeah. But it doesn't, you know, um, it, I'm, I was glad to learn, by the way, this may be a, another reason why the randomizer brought us here, because I think the randomizer is sponsored by Big Finish, uh, because there is a <laughs> Brigadier Bambera box set. Indeed. That was just released this year. Um, well, I'd be excited to listen just because I, mm. I kind of want to see what they do with the character because I, I feel like there's potential here, but very little of it is tapped. Yes. And speaking of Brigadier-based potential, I, I really wanted to see more Doris. Uh, right. Brigadier's Doris wife, is great. She's memorable. Who, yeah. She's, meant, she's only in a few scenes in this, um, basically doing the do you have to go, darling, kind of thing. Um, and then getting to go off in Bessie at the end with, with all the girls for, I guess, a girl's day out in Bessie. What did you think of that scene right at the end? All, all the, all the single ladies are off. Well, okay. Not single ladies. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're all off in Bessie and it just sort of, it seems like a really patronizing kind of scene to me, but I don't it's know. cute. I like the cute ending, the boys, girls thing yeah, a little bit, but you know, I can't talk about that scene. First of all, one thing about, Doris. <clears throat> I have to feel for um, Doris and the actress because, man, those mom jeans, those are some pretty <laughs> bad mom jeans that she has on. Not yeah. good, not flattering. Uh, you know, what is, you know, does not, <laughs> what would Captain Jack say? It's doing nothing, doing nothing for your butt there, Doris. Um, oh, Doris. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Really should now be working at Doris, Texas, right? Um, <clears throat> but I can't talk about that sort of cute final scene without talking about the climax, which is mm. to say the Brigadier's big heroic moment, which I think, it, it, and this is sort of, it, I don't think there was an earlier draft as far as I understand where they killed the Brigadier, but it was definitely Ben Aronvich when he started writing the episode intended mm. to do that. Yeah. And when he got to the scene, he couldn't do it. And he basically told Cartmel, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't do it. And they, they were all, Happy, like, no, go yes, go ahead, leave him alive. But I think ultimately it's because the overall tone of this, as much as it does get serious here and there with the nuclear speech and uh maybe a couple of other moments of, of real peril with Morgane, it's it's lighthearted. And mm. do do you kill off the brigadier in this what's essentially kind of a fun romp? I don't yeah. think you do. And I think he got to that scene and was like, no, don't do it. And then, because if because if they kill the Brigadier, it's a completely different ending, right? It's a completely different denouement. It's it's just tragic and everyone sort of goes their separate ways. But I like I like this this for the story. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna reverse myself again, just so you're ready. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say I would have liked them to kill the Brigadier. In, in a, like in other words, I'd rather they sort of change the tone of the story, do a few a fewer things, make it a little more serious, and then kill the brigadier because I do think that's what that character deserves. I do yeah. think, even though I, you know, Nick Courtney's gone on to do big finishes, he did the Sarah Jane Adventures, and I'm really grateful that he did all that. But I do think 
there's there was an opportunity here to give the character a really great death scene and a really great send off, and they they didn't quite deliver. And I'm glad, given the story, they did. They made the choice they did, but I would have liked to see something even more epic with uh, a final end of the Brigadier. Yeah, I went. I, I talked a lot there. What did you I, think I, about? I I would. I think I'm going to agree tentatively with both of your conclusions there, but um. I, I, and also have thoughts on both sides. First of all, I'm, I'm glad it happened the way it did because I think the reveal of the Brigadier's death in The Wedding of River Song is mm. one of those moments in the new series that always catches at your throat. And it's just like, you know, we've, we've, we've seen closing time on our random adventure. And, yeah. you know, the doc, we know that the Doctor's sort of in this mode of going to see all friends and he wants to have one last adventure with the Brigadier because why wouldn't he? Because he always does. And, and then he can't because the Brigadier's gone because Nicholas Courtney's gone. And, you know, not mm-hmm. a dry eye in the house at that moment. Beautiful piece of television. Um, that said, the fact that they were going to kill him off and could not is, I think, a symptom of a, of a wider disease that is evident in Doctor Who at this time. It's, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the show that is slowly committing suicide. I think when you've got it being written by fans like right. Aronovich, like Cartmel, um, who cannot, cannot do something like cannot kill the Brigadier, like to make a uh, good art, you know, good, a good drama, you have to be able to kill off characters that you love, right? You have to right. be able to kill your darlings. Um, you know, it really, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi was not going to die in the original draft of Star Wars. And they did mm. kill him off. And it makes the story pop because suddenly he's dead. He's in Luke's head. What's going on? Right. It just, it brings some weight to the story and they have no weight in the story whatsoever. Um, so making it the Brigadier's last stand, especially when that's sort of foreshadowed by this whole thing with Doris, you know, uh, where you think it's going to be. A, he just returns at yeah. the end, like he always does. That would have been huge. It would have brought some weight to Battlefield, and I don't know if it, perhaps if the show had been more conscious about the end approaching, they might have gone yeah. for that more somber version, and paradoxically, might have actually saved the show in the process. Yeah, and the great thing about Doctor Who, and they this was not as much of a thing in sci-fi in the past, uh, but uh, certainly Stephen Moffat has has used this. Um, death isn't always the end. Mm. You know, and especially particularly if your show features time travel. So yep. um, if 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 you if you did so, like, again, you don't want to do this too much because then it cheapens things. And we talked about that with with Clara and, and everything. But um, it, it, you, you're the, the reluctant. I, there's less reluctance today to do things like that. I think mm. maybe possibly for the wrong reasons. But um, if as you know. Uh, you talked about Star Wars and deaths, and there <laughs> there have been not some not so great deaths in Star Wars too, and true. bad choices. And it's you know you you can write your way out of it. You can reverse it. You can go forward in different ways. I mean, there are, it, it just adds to the mythology and the fact that the, the Brigadier never quite had that warrior's death that we wanted him to have. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of unfortunate. And uh, it was going to happen with him calling in an airstrike. I believe he was actually going to die right. in that airstrike, which would be. It seems fitting for the Brigadier, who spent mm-hmm. half his Doctor Who career calling in airstrikes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's he so also gets one of the best Brigadier lines, at least, which is "Get yeah. off my world." I mean, mm. and I got to say, like there, there is so much good writing here. Like there, there, there's clever dialogue and clever scenes 
around that dialogue um, kind of throughout. I mean, just just a few of them. Like, I really like it when Ace comes out of the lake and just hands the sword over and is like, yeah. you be king of England. Um, How could you not? Funny. I mean, were you were you hearing echoes at that point of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Watery tarts lying around in lakes, not the basis for a system of government. If I said I was <laughs> king or something, because some moistened bent lobbed a scimitar at me. Like, they're, they're no. almost using that exact dialogue without irony. How can you do that in 1989? You know, more than 10 years after Holy Grail has sort of entered the consciousness of every every school child watching. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, there's, there's little bits. I mean, honestly, we think about RTD and, and Moffat as being sort of these masters of dialogue, and they are, but the, just looking at the stuff here where the doctor pulls out all those coins and mm-hmm. there's like a wind-up toy and someone just picks it up and it's like, wait, wait, that's that's a very valuable piece of currency. <laughs> you know, yes, I love somewhere. that. It is in fact a Zoid, which was a, a British right. toy. Oh, I remember the Zoids. Yeah. Also in Canada. Oh, yeah? Um, and the oh. bit where they unearth uh, the the tube under the lake and I forget what it says. It says open open here or something. And the guy says, what does it say that in? My handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a cool nice. moment that could have been handled better. There's a great yeah. moment where um, Anselin uh, says the doc, you know, he's like, does that not travel through time? You know, is, is, is their box right. not deceiving to the site by being bigger on the inside? Like, Really, yeah. there are some nice lines buried in this, but they are buried is the problem. Well, not only nice lines, that that's such a great moment because it happens still very, I think it's episode two. And mm. it's just like, do you, we know you. And just like, well, wait a minute. And then your instant assumption is like, oh, there's some you know untelevised adventure. But then mm. the doctor says, never met him before in my life. You know, I've no mm-hmm. idea. And so I, I, it's pretty... And, you know, kind of incredible Doctor Who hasn't done this until this point where it does a Bill and Ted's excellent adventure thing where it's his future self that's kind of gotten him into all this trouble. Yeah. And that's that's just a cool, a very cool idea. Um, it is incredibly and, cool. Is it time to talk about Merlin? I think it's time to talk about Merlin. It's time. <laughs> it's time time for Chris's history corner. Or Chris's <laughs> myth corner. We talk about Merlin. Yeah. So so obviously the the influence here in, in the idea of making the Doctor Merlin you, you have to think about um, T.H. White's uh, The Once of Future King, right? Which introduced right. the notion, played around with the Arthurian legend, as it has been played around with throughout the ages. There is one, you know, one line of the historical King Arthur. Everything else is myth and legend to serve uh, the needs of the time. Um, but T.H. White was the first guy to introduce this notion that Merlin is actually literally living his life backwards from the 1930s. I think he's an Oxford Don to the twelfth uh, century, right? So mm. now we we look at that with our modern Doctor Who eyes, and we definitely see a sort of echoes of River Song's timeline being lived right. back pretty much backwards, yeah. right? Um, uh, we might think of Benjamin Button or something like that, but you, you know, that was an association with Merlin. I think that's what they were trying to get at with the Doctor. Like the Doctor should be living some of his life out of order. And this would be a mm. great example for that. The Doctor's a great fit for Merlin. Um, but, oh my God, do they underexplore that notion mm. in this? Like, I, I, yes, there's so much more going on. 
but like it really should be much more exciting than it is. And it definitely made me think of the timeless child in that right. sense. Yeah. Which which can tie in as an explanation for why the doctor may still not remember being Merlin, right? Maybe it is even post Jody. Maybe it's some maybe it's something that RTD has thought about already. Maybe it's something or we're gonna get a reference to. Could could it be pre Hartnell? Could you know? be. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. Then why would he leave notes to himself? I guess I guess it doesn't make sense. So yeah, I mean, as far as we know, the doctor now might have infinite regenerations, right? So yeah, um, yeah. he could do, like because it seems like he spends a lot of time in this other dimension for some reason at some point <laughs> in his future, and there's like he's fighting with the the Britons in that time and in yeah. this world, and they're fighting Morgane, and there's final battles and lots of elaborate things. Um, what is this dimension? Why is it important? How does magic work there? How does their magic still work in our universe when they come sideways in time or whatever? Obviously, enough reference to Inferno. Um, who knows? Never got explored. Yes. And yeah, so there it, is a yeah. short story called One Fateful Night. It was one of the short trips uh, starring Paul McGann. And it kind of is a prequel slash sequel to this. Oh, nice. Uh, obviously, not, not canon because it's, it's just a short yeah. story. Um, but uh, the Doctor encounters another Time Lord who's calling himself Merlin and calls himself mm. Merlin in the process. So it's very interesting, naughty, thorny, timey-wimey stuff um, going on there. And it's just one example of what they could have explored with this. Right, right. Yeah, mm. it's interesting. Like the choices they make in the new series. And so obviously Chibnall did what he wanted to do. Um, uh, he ended up, whether it was inspired by it or not, tying into the brain of Morbius stuff hmm. and expanding on that, a future showrunner, whether it's RTD or someone else, could easily key in on Battlefield and be like, you know what? I've got some ideas here. And, you know, it's not like Arthurian legend is has lacked exploration, <laughs> but mm. it would give an audience a touchstone and you know potentially make it feel even more epic by really leading into that so yeah totally. i think you know there's there's it's, definitely something on a ball on the court here someone can pick up yeah I, and and you know i want, I want to give ben aronovich if that's how i pronounce his name some credit like he was trying to make a political point here uh that is really dark and not necessarily seen outside of britain because you know, the, the part of the essential nature of the Arthurian legend is Arthur is going to come back. Right. You know, he's the, the sleeping king when in Britain's greatest, darkest hour of need, he'll be back. And here, Arthur is dust. Yeah. He's dead. He is gone. Like, that is the ultimate message. Wow. If that had been explored more deeply in any sense, that would have been very interesting and, and very relevant, I think, for both post-Brexit Britain. You know, you have a lot of people who dream of, you know, the, the old empire or restoring Britain's place on the world stage like this. I, I would love to see this repeated and explored further. Arthur, Arthur's dead, people. He's not coming back. The old Britain's not coming back. Um, like that, yeah, I it just gets so buried here again. Yeah, I, I like it is a little bit well, literally, buried. literally um, buried. But I mean, I, I like how it's used here, at least is probably more to do. But the idea that oh we found like we thought he was alive we thought this was all going to happen again it doesn't and 
therefore nothing means anything, you know, at least for, for the people who were obsessed about it, the people who define their lives this way. And it's basically Morgane and to her people, mm. like it's all over. Um, and, and it, I gotta say though, like what in the world is the doctor thinking that unit can hold her? <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> this is another thing where I don't get like, what, like what happens to her? Like the, yeah. they lock her up along with Mordred we never hear from them again, but wait a minute. She's like magic and she can shoot lightning bolts out of her fingers and take down helicopters. Like, <clears throat> and it, how could they ever like have a prison that holds this woman? Uh, it's so bizarre. Uh, and the doctor just sort of walks out, leaving her in the, yeah. the nuclear control room at the end. Like, yeah. well, she's I think not going to suddenly he, change her mind again. He walks out with the keys, but is that going to stop her? Uh, I mean, she needed to, she, she's not all powerful in the sense that she needed the the codes and whatever to launch it but it is like yeah. she's powerful enough and she doesn't die like yeah. this is a i don't know it's it's there probably is one some story somewhere but it's crying out for a sequel of some kind uh which again maybe that's part of this whole thing of uh, the future doctor and etc and mm-hmm. what does future morgane do um so I'm, I'm curious uh we, we always have the segment of the show where pete you tell us what it was like to watch this story with your kids uh, I'm curious about whether this made them more or less interested in Arthurian legend. Oh, that's actually a good question. I don't know about that. I think my son would be more interested because he's the mm-hmm. more the history buff mm-hmm. of the two of them. Um, but I will say they both really liked it. Oh. They were both really into Battlefield. There's two thumbs up for my kids, which I think, wow. again, sort of indicates this story still works even though Mm. it's super cheap right even though Mm. it's kind of nonsense there's enough coolness going on and there's enough things that sort of um tickle the mind and even sort of visually in some places particularly with the destroyer that i think that it it just really worked for them Um, it is interesting isn't it we we come to this with sort of the cynical weight of being who fans, right? Whovians who yeah. know that this is the last season. And me in particular, I'm like, I'm looking for signs of a show committing suicide and all of this stuff. But it is like when you watch it when you're a kid, and I think this is true with uh, Doctor Who in general, especially classic Who, like disjointed plots don't necessarily matter. They're just a yeah. starting place for your imagination. It's definitely doing way too much. There are not nearly enough explanations, but. I I also wouldn't want to slow it down. Like this is mm. one of the more dynamic stories that Sylvester McCoy has. Mm. And there's there's enough crowd-pleasing stuff in here that uh I'm into it. Plus Sophie Aldred is great. I mean she's just always great, but like she's got a lot of good lines. She gets a lot of action. That whole bit in the circle, you know, the dialogue notwithstanding, mm. I think is just inspired, honestly. Like I like the little exchange she has with Morgane where it's not that like i have to believe this thing works you do you know like and then because of that uh you can't touch us that was really awesome yeah and does she get the first geronimo in doctor who yeah that was awesome that is really cool or she just screams geronimo i think when she goes into like the vortex or whatever yeah, um, yeah, which again is one of those things. What, where, where are they? Is this the other dimension? Is this some other place castle she has just lying around here? Is it? I don't yeah. know. Who cares? And <laughs> the special effect for walking into the vortex is that the actors literally spin around. Yeah, yeah. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get one of those little playground thingies where they could actually spin them or whatever. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very. Yeah. Put them on skates or something. 
Anyway, we should also mention like um, there there is a another unit dating controversy here. Uh, actually, oh. given you know we've we've sort of <laughs> mentioned the unit dating controversy in the past, which really all stems from um, uh, the pyramids of Mars, right? And Sarah Jane saying that she's from 1980, which kind of messed up with a chronology where it was clearly unit was in the 70s before that. A lot of reasons. Um, well, except for the invasion, we could get in. We'll get into it someday. Right. We'll get into it someday. <laughs> okay. so that's the old unit dating controversy. They seem to want to deliberately start a new one by having this set a few years in Ace's future. So, yeah. assuming Ace is contemporary, that means 1991. And so, well, yeah. Well, Ace, so, I guess, is from, she would be from 1987, right? Because so isn't that where Dragonfire was when when, when that was broadcast? I guess, but but then this is 1989, so it's exactly contemporary. Uh, yeah, so, they, they didn't think through that, did they? Well, they said they said a few years. So yeah. I think what they're trying, what Ben Aronvich is the impossible task he's trying to do is balance both what when unit was supposed to be, or at least what he thought it was supposed to be, mm. and um, you know the real world where he could kind of mess around with a few things. Uh, chronology wise to to put it I don't know somewhere in the future I don't know I don't know if it necessarily had to be in the future yeah it, it um, doesn't it really apart, doesn't I mean well, what, apart what, from what if, is you, different? if you really wanted to get it if you really wanted to respect that mm. the unit was supposed to be in the 1980s mm. and you have an older brigadier who is retired and even retired from his retired job so he's like not only retired from the military he's retired from teaching yeah you you kind of have to put it in the nineties and probably the later nineties. So he's he kind of settled this at some point and just said it's nineteen ninety seven. But I guess I think they say lemonades five pounds or something at yeah, some point. At the a pub, lemonade and a glass of water in this little out of the way pub in the Gorecrow Hotel is is five pounds. That would not be five pounds even now in twenty twenty two. So so that was weird. There's also a king. Maybe the lemonade mentions- market was just a little crazy in ninety seven. We don't know. The Brigadier mentions there being a king at one point. So we assume that the queen right. supposed to have died or abdicated. No, there was so yeah, Ben was underestimating the Queen's health by a long margin there. <laughs> um presumably he's thinking that Charles would have uh taken over by then. By yes. But there's an even bigger glaring uh, mistake in how you represent the nineteen nineties, which is that this this was early 1989. This was before the fall of the Berlin Wall, right? And we're still, yes. you know, we see. I think we see a Russian soldier with a hammer and sickle, uh, you know. And oh, right. Well, that's here's the thing I thought was really cool. Which I, again, you're you're dead on in that that it's anachronistic and mm-hmm. problematic because it doesn't match our timeline. But um, unit is uh, in the modern version. They're kind of I see finally what they were always supposed to be. This international organization with troops from uh, multiple places. I guess you were take we take it to mean there's there's a, a Czech, someone from France, someone from Poland. At least the ones we see. So all that's great. Like and you know the fact that Bambera's uh, of African descent. All of that is awesome. Like let, let's see a modern diverse mm. unit she was supposed to be um, jamaican by the way and i believe arunovich was was horrified when um when the casting was made of a a british woman from manchester you know uh oh. <laughs> like, i wouldn't have put these jamaican there was a few jamaican words 
a little patois thrown into a dialogue. So he was horrified by that. Yeah, yes. interesting. But yeah, yeah really the, like the fact that we, we, it, yeah. we've got this new, you know, to go back to the 1989 thing, we've got this, uh, the destroyer is sort of a metaphor for nuclear war, mm-hmm. right? But then we go from the metaphor to the actual actuality, right, of, of Morgane being about right. to launch a nuclear warhead. It gives the doctor the opportunity for his speech of what's going to happen in the nuclear war, you know, powerful speech. Um, but again, it's sort of like, you know, in, in the real world, nuclear tensions eased uh, just months after this show came out. Actually, interestingly, months after Doctor Who goes off the air, the Cold War ends. Hmm. Right. <laughs> is there a connection? Uh, is there a connection here? Could, <laughs> could the two not function without each other? I'm just going to throw that fan theory in there. Um, but yeah, well, it's kind it's, of funny because like Doctor Who has always had this weird future, not really futures, even somewhat contemporary, but it, it started as a future vision of a world government or at least mm. of a much more influential and powerful United Nations. Yes. And that's sort of been consistent throughout. And Unit is somewhat emblematic of, emblematic of that. So it is a little weird they're even having this, like the that nuclear weapons keep coming up. I will say mm. the message about nuclear devastation is coming a number of years late and i'm glad they did it um i think every you know every franchise who who has these sort of global stakes needed to do something like this in the 80s Uh, but this is coming well after war games or even the day after or whatever everyone should have stopped after superman 4 the quest for peace (laughs) um basically that should be it like okay if you haven't got your anti-nuclear polemic done now it's we're, we're done guys that was it the time has been called. Um, yeah, but, bold uh, choice, Ben. But I, I agree with you. It's nice to sort of make UNIT appear more international, but they do blunder it at, at several points. And, it's a little handy, you know, Not too. just the Bambera thing. But also, the Brigadier at, some, at one point says to his helicopter pilot, do you speak Czech- Czechoslovak? Do you speak Czechoslovakian? Mm. Now, if you know anything about the history of that country, you know that there is no such language. There is no such country, right. literally now, right? It was just two countries that were yeah. squeezed together after World War I, um, two parts of the Austrian Empire. But it also, Czechoslovakian is not a language, it's Czech and it's Slovak. And and it just, for the Brigadier to, to say that to, a, a is the pilot supposed to be Czech? Like, we don't even yeah. know what, and, and she mean, says, I, only I when I'm drunk, she... sir. Is that like a Oh no, a she's meta- French, right? Because she's Laval. She? Am I wrong? Yeah, I think. I think so. She yeah, just sort of I think she, I don't know if the actress was French, but hmm. um, yeah, it kind of felt for her when she gets like vaporized. She's one of the the few. Well, I guess there's a bunch of casualties later, which uh, you don't really feel much because they're just no name unit soldiers. But she gets like incinerated or something in the pub, which is uh, kind of sad. It's kind of like one of the the throwaway deaths that isn't so throwaway. Um, so that works, but. Yeah, like generally, I think the unit, this could have been an interesting, like I say, passing of the torch to a new era of unit that I would You're have right. liked to see with the way. next doctor. Like uh, that would have been cool. Um, as it turns out, we had to wait something like 20 years for that. And it ended mm-hmm. up being Kate Stewart and, you know, all the cool stuff they ended up doing with Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi um, and now Whitaker. But, yeah. you know, better late than never. Yeah, yeah, we finally got there, and uh, vi- via several other international organizations, uh, you know, a lot of hmm. stuff that should have been in units purview, like the uh, the uh, the missile launch and the Christmas invasion. Um, yeah. All right, is it time? I think it's time to ask the four questions. It's time, everyone, for the four questions to doomsday. <laughs> 
And the first one, as always, is why did the randomizer take us here? What do you think, Chris? Uh, the Brigadier Bambera Big yeah. Finish Connection. Uh, the, uh, the Just to, to get a little bit more, more somber for a moment, uh, I mentioned last week uh, my my dad passed away recently. I was over his, for his funeral. Spearhead from Space was an interesting connection for him because Pertwee and Troughton were his doctors. This also gave me big, you know, my dad in retirement in the garden vibes with the Brigadier. So mm. I, I felt that yeah. personal level of connection. Uh, Jean Marsh, we haven't talked about her much. Oh, yeah, we got to talk um, about her. She was Sarah Kingdom, you know, the, the mm. shortest lived companion. Um, but also she was um, very briefly John Pertwee's wife. So mm, we true. go, we go from you know a Pertwee episode to a Jean Marsh episode. There's there's a clear connection there, um, and Brigadier, Brigadier first as a series regular and Brigadier last. Um, yeah, in, definitely in good connections there. I got to say, mm-hmm. can't say enough about Jean Marsh in this episode. She is amazing. She chews the scenery perfectly, <laughs> she, and honestly, her performance is. She's almost too good for this story. You know, you're just like, everyone's kind of like doing the best they can. And then suddenly the the queen of everything comes in and like just blows everyone out of the water. And, you know, the the gravitas she gives that performance, that character is part of why this is this, this episode pulls it off. Like it pulls this rabbit out of a hat, like a good experience out of such a mess. Um, I will say that her crown... Her crown yeah. is a bit much. It's, it's a, a bit much. It's, TR it's so much. memorable, I got to say. Like, <laughs> but I, I, to your point, I, I think there were times as, uh, that they they couldn't hold it together in terms of t- talking to her. Like when ben, ben, when she's like ordering Bambera to give her the codes, like um, the who's the actress who plays Bambera again? Um, when if no, oh, her, her character's name uh, is uh, yes, it is. Uh, oh, uh, not bad. Angela, no, it is Angela. We have two Angelas. It's Angela Bruce. Yes. Angela Bruce. She she just <laughs> could, found it a hard time to like not crack up. Uh, like it's hard to take her that seriously with that crown, but somehow, I don't know. She pulls Somehow, it off. So she, she also has the requisite for who villains in the seventies and eighties long fingernails. Yes, the, of course. The talons of Morgaine <laughs> could have been an alternate title. <laughs> I think that's a spinoff right there. <laughs> Uh, it's a manicure episode. It's a reality show. It's Doctor Who reality show. Love it. So, but yeah, the Brigadier connection for sure. It's he's. Um, it was kind of. It wasn't his first appearance in Spearhead from Space, but it was right. kind of like the first episode of the modern unit. And what I really found a good contrast was that he sees the John Pertwee Doctor in Spearhead from Space, and he's like, "Who is this? I, I don't know this guy. That's not the Doctor." Yes. And then, without even having met. Sylvester McCoy's version, he just finds him all, you know, I forget. I think it's in the smacked around at the bottom of the, uh, the in the spaceship at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. And it's like, you know, hello there. I forget what he says. Uh, You've done it again, doctor. I forget. Or he just says, hello, doctor. And he just knows it. You're the doctor. Yeah. Come on. I mean, he doesn't even, hasn't even seen the question mark jumper yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love that. Maybe he's seen the umbrella off to one side. It's like, oh, who else could this be? I like the idea. So, uh, first of all, background, Spearhead from Space, some fans are like, e- even in that field, that the Brigadier doesn't display enough skepticism about the idea of the Doctor changing faces. Um, mm. Weirdly, by, and I'm not sure we got around to discussing this during Spearhead, that, that by the time we get to Planet of Spiders, 
the brigadier is so is already over regenerations and he's never actually seen one right like, he says well here we go again like mm. uh, uh, here's another 30 seconds of my life i can't get back watching the doctor regenerate <laughs> uh he's so jaded like <laughs> he's a regeneration hipster and he didn't even see it last time uh what the hell bring it here um but anyway so so by now Benton, get us some popcorn <laughs> on the double i love it I love it. But yeah, but now he's just like, you know, any strange guy lying around at the bottom of the lake is probably the doctor. You know, why not? Uh, he's just, but I really like the fan theory that just says the Brigadier has seen so many regenerations of the doctor, unlike almost any companion, seen mm. so many regenerations of the doctor. Now he just sort of sees the essence of the doctor within all of these regenerations. He right. just he's kind of become part time lord. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, well, the time least he, ability. You just kind of know yeah, what it is. It just knows like something about the way he carries himself, something about, I don't know, the build. Yeah. You know, you just sort of recognize people after years, even if they've changed it a lot. Uh, still, I, I, I love that because it's exactly. And I think it's so true of characters who, and even, even races that interact with the doctor over and over. I think one of the best lines that we haven't, we'll get there again when we get there, but in Earthshock the Cybermen are figuring out who the doctor is in this scene. And the cyber leaders, Oh, is that, is that guy? He's, he's super arrogant. You know, like that's gotta be the doctor. You know, like, it's like, maybe it's one of the out. things, it's maybe it's out. one of the things the unit has been working on as well as like silver bullets and all of this upgraded tech. Like we've, we've worked on a good doctor yeah. detection device. Uh, like we, we just know <laughs> when you're the doctor now, it's okay. You don't even need to, to convince us. It's all good. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I like that connection. Traps. I like the the fact that the Brigadier, here's an interesting randomized connection. The Brigadier was wearing the beige jumpsuit last we saw him. Mm, now he's right. wearing basically the uniform of the Major General, of the Colonel Blimp mm. figure uh, in Spearhead from Space. Right. So it's like you, you live long enough to become the Colonel Blimp that you used to poke fun at. <laughs> we all got to have goals. <laughs> um so we got let's move it on to the second question. Uh what, what if the evil plot had succeeded? So the evil plot I think is fair to say that uh, okay well, I guess we could say Morgane unleashes the destroyer in which case the, the entire world is ended and she goes back to the parallel dimension. But you could also say the evil plot is unleashing nuclear hell by mm. launching the missile. First of all, do we know where the missile is pointed? Oh, it's a fair point. Is it pointed at Russia? Know. One one would assume. Well, why wouldn't it be? Right. I mean, I guess it just would go to the last thing. I don't know. I don't know how nukes work, and it's probably a good thing in that is there some <laughs> some universal program? It wouldn't be a network thing. It would be like you have these these targets built in and you just kind of pick one and maybe there's a default sort of sequence to it. Yeah. I guess just that, defaults guess to Moscow. Yeah. Um, so that would unleash world war three. Right. Unless, uh, you know, the, the show has got to be presuming that Gorbachev is still in charge of the Soviet union. In fact, it was Yeltsin in charge mm. of the, the Republic of Russia. Um, right. But you might consider that this would not actually launch World War Three, that because tensions have eased off so much, Gorbachev would see one nuclear explosion as just maybe it's maybe this is was just a mistake. 
Like, why would America or Britain launch one of their missiles, just one of them? So why you might you not have a completely devastated nuclear winter world. It's still yes. a very wounded world. I mean, you kind of essentially have the reverse of, politically, the reverse of the sum of all fears. Right. So I don't know if you're familiar with that Tom Clancy one, but like it's where Baltimore gets nuked. Huh. Or it's a dirty bomb, but it is, it's it's right. one of these things where an, a major American city gets nuked and then it's a terrorist organization that's responsible, not not the Soviet mm-hmm. Union, not the Eastern Bloc. So right. they narrowly avert uh, a nuclear exchange. So uh, yeah. it, it's what's interesting here is this ties in, again, maybe why the randomizer brought us here. It ties into our theory of uh, last time we were talking about on what of the evil plot had succeeded, that many of these alien invasion of Britain plot lines cannot succeed because you could the rest of the world can just nuke Britain. Hmm. We, I think we literally <laughs> said that last week, right? Uh, hey, and the same thing, thing could happen motive. here. Yeah. yeah. Gorbachev is like, excuse me, uh, Mr. President, uh, do you mind if I just throw one nuke back at Britain just to get them back? Because they clearly launched this, um, you know, from, from weirdly from this out of the way place near a lake in a hotel. Um, <laughs> what happens sure. to Morgaine? I mean, it, I guess she goes back to yeah. her dimension, so... She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't die in a fiery nuclear explosion. But assuming it does trigger World War Three, okay, um, then uh, presumably wherever this lake is, uh, it's not a natural place in Britain. Specifically, the doctor's wrong in the name meaning huh. high king. It refers to a particular high king. By the way, did you notice the signposts were in kilometers? That's something else that's supposed to have changed in the near oh, future. Oh, they're not. We go from, so usually go from miles? miles to kilometers. Usually miles, yeah. Is in it the UK? Aren't you on the old uh, system uh, international? It, it no? went to both no for a while, but but certainly since uh, Brexit, we've veered back towards miles. Um, oh wow! Uh, in, I did not know that. But it would still always be miles on on the signposts. Um, and in here. And, but anyway, <laughs> presumably where this lake is, like they're they're kind of safe from the nuclear blasts. They're going to hit London. They're going to hit the major cities. In which case, this gets into a very, very dark story mm. of, you know, the Doctor trying to help Earth, this planet that he loves, from surviving a nuclear winter, basically. Right. Which could destroy the human race. And perhaps, probably, himself dying of radiation poisoning. Slowly, mm. slowly turning into Paul McGann. Um, right, right. He'd have to do it. Which, yeah. And then you'd consider that basically the TV movie would be Paul McGann uh as mad max in this post-apocalyptic environment which oh wow that's kind of cool mcgann in the leather jacket early yes and you know he's got the probably not the long hair it's probably shaved head or something it's probably like his look from alien 3 yes post-apocalyptic steampunk paul mcgann with the shaved head i mean i would watch the hell out of that tv movie nice i like it i like it better than the destroyer (laughs) um doing its thing which by the way does that ever like like what is does she only release the destroyer to get the sword right like is that was that the whole point of summoning the destroyer like she seems bent on destruction at the end but i think again to to the point of everything like i think it's all just she's just raging because she wants to have this fight again with arthur and best him and when she finds that she can't it's just pointless. Um, yeah, so all of this is essentially designed yeah. to just bring him out. 
yeah, retroactively, it's just, you know, uh, the the Arthur is her equivalent of the master, you know, wanting to always draw the mm-hmm. doctor out. Right? That's basically what's going on here, even though it's unclear. Um, so, yeah, I guess... And I just feel like the Destroyer so- just, just comes in at one point to be all scary, and it's just because she wants the sword. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. But then so it's anyway. not clear why she wants the sword, and Excalibur is really mistreated. <laughs> yeah, well, then the there's place. the whole thing with the scabbard. Yeah. where it's got a lot of attention early on and then just stops mattering at all once it's off the wall and they have the sword. It's like, the scabbard's and, just, okay. It's yeah, a, and the doctor the explicitly here, said, second fiddle, I guess. Literally the, second the, the scabbard is supposed to be more important than the sword, and there's no payoff to that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, really. I just really forgot, and Ben Aaronvich is aware of that. That's like, he's he knows it's a failure, but it's definitely a failure. Okay. Moving on to the fourth, third question to Doomsday. Where is the Clara splinter here? And I honestly have no idea. I, I <laughs> think like there's probably, there's tons of plot holes to pave over, certainly. So it's kind of like pick your thing. But I, the main thing, um, mm-hmm. I, I would go yeah, for, you know. I would go for Clara is the unit officer responsible for locking up Morgane. And... <laughs> You know, because with all of her lifetime, she will have some experience on how to do this, how how to keep her powers in check, right? And we were saying, why are they just so casual and blasé about locking her up? Well, this may be it. You know, Commander Clara is on the case. Um, or slightly off screen. Yeah, or she deals with it in a, maybe she's not in unit and just figures out like, oh, I'll I'll put her in some kind of like banish her somehow, whether it's a time loop or some portal mm. to some faraway planet or whatever. Like she can't stay on Earth because it's like then, <laughs> well, it's all gonna read the whole thing is just gonna start again in you know another in a, a few months or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's pretty good. I was also thinking maybe she, she's an assistant to that archaeologist guy and mm. just making sure he really takes his time with that dig so that it happens to be just unearthed to that exact point where the doctor can read his own handwriting uh, yep. no further. And so sort of limiting his progress. So he just doesn't go too deep. I think that's not bad. Either way, I, I sort of, this isn't where's the Clara splinter, but you feel like river would have snuck in a letter of her own at that point. Mm. Like, right. PS. See you soon, sweetie. Um, <laughs> that's not in my handwriting. What is that? Um, yeah, uh, maybe she's just sort of interfacing between the parallel worlds, the one where Camelot is. Maybe she's a lady of Camelot. Um, oh, well, know, that's not bad. Yeah, kind of. Maybe she she slipped sideways in time, yeah. and she got the 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 knights into these weird sort of coffin things that <laughs> go through space to land on Earth. I never understood that. Like, wait, are they from space? Are they from another dimension? If they're from another dimension, why are they coming from space? Maybe she just invented that whole sl- magic slash technology. It's we'll so weird. Yes. Um, it, by the way, about time has a wonderful summary of this whole episode, which is just they do a version of um, this is that the book about time. They do a version of the uh, the song from Spamalot. Um, oh. the, the <laughs> when Knights of the Round Table dimensionally unstable is how it starts, mm. <laughs> which I think is just a wonderful couplet. Um, but yeah, awesome. I yeah look okay. that up. so maybe that's maybe that's Clara's task, and then the final the final of the four questions is this uh, a Dalek or an yes. Ogron or a Viscount Banger, which is of course our rating system. 
Yes, I think we can rule out Viscount Banger for this one. Yeah, definitely um, not. I personally think this is a sad old ogre on a shadow of its former self in retirement. Aww. And it's just sort of sitting off to one side and it's slightly out of focus and it's on video. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a little harsh. Um, <laughs> I thought this was a Dalek. It's, a, it's kind of a wobbly Dalek, yeah. but honestly, watching it with my kids reminded me how enjoyable it is because they were super into it. And I got into it and I, I, I gained more of an appreciation. I think I used to get hung up on Battlefield's cheapness. And it is yeah. a cheap episode, no question, in a cheap era of Doctor Who. But it is super fun. There's great dialogue. Um, it's It doesn't work, really. Like, it's it doesn't, as a story, it, it kind of leaves you thinking a lot of questions and did that even make any sense? Um, but... Uh, I, I think it also makes leaves you with the sense like, wow, that was super fun. And that last little bit where it's, you know, just the cute scene where the girls go off, you, you just think, okay, yeah, that was fun. That was a good time. I, I, I would definitely re- re- come back and visit this uh, estate with the Brigadier. Uh, at some it's point definitely, it's not as bad as it could have been. It's not the worst Ogron uh, we've ever encountered or ever will encounter. Um, I will d- throw in one sort of last thing, which which shows it's kind of unintentional hilarity, but kind of shows that uh, people were asleep at the wheel. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, <laughs> drinking. This is a Dalek who's been drinking too many uh, beers at the, yeah. uh, the Gore Crow Hotel. Exactly. It's, it's a wobbly Dalek that had too many ales <laughs> at, at the Gore Crow pub. But that just reminds me of Morgane uh, restoring sight to the character's name is Elizabeth Rowlandson, the, the wife of the publican. And uh, she suddenly is able to see again, mm-hmm. you know, another another subplot that's not really dealt with. Um, and she looks around the room. She's like, I can see. And she gives her husband a hug. Doesn't look at him. Right. <laughs> Especially, yeah. Would have been a nice bookend with Mordred kind of saying, you know, oh, it is tis well that your lady cannot see you, sir. Ah, um, you know, I make a jest at your ugliness, sir. So it would have been a nice bookend for her to actually hmm. look into his eyes at the end there. But, you know, again, just one of a... Would have been nice if they hundred. had the money for one more take. Just one more take. <laughs> it's like, no, nope, got to move on. We've got to start shooting ghost light tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> just look at your husband like you've never seen him before. Um, yeah, that would have been good. All right. So we've we've done everything we can do on we've the battlefield it. of Battlefield. Uh, we're I think leaving we, the battlefield it's all we're there the battlefield uh we we left it all on the field there's nothing left and uh it's time <laughs> to go random again uh, pete explain random. the randomizer to our new listeners right well now that we're done we have to enter the tardis and activate the randomizer which will take us to another random adventure in the television series doctor who <laughs> and we have two parts to the randomizer first is the pull to open codex which is the comprehensive list of all the episodes of the television show Doctor Who for all the way from 1963 up to modern day. There are 301 by yes. our count. Including and- Destiny of the Daleks. If you've not been listening for a few episodes, you will wonder why <laughs> that is ticked over from 300 to 301. It is not that you have missed a Jodie Whittaker story. It is that we messed up on our original codex. Right. And now we have the correct count. And we're going to pick one of these stories at random. And how are we going to do that, Chris? With the website I've just pulled up, random.org, which uses atmospheric noise, which you might 
considered to be a distress signal bouncing around the atmosphere and uh, awaiting uh, a, a TARDIS to come sideways at time next to it, sidle up to it, and uh, tune in to whatever whatever randomness is being generated up there in the atmosphere because computers are very bad at being random and they just sort of use algorithms to pretend to be random. Um, but we're, we are truly random, as the Doctor would want us to be. So right on. when Pete yep. gives me the countdown, I'm going to hit generate between one, uh, a number between 1 and 301, and we usually issue challenges to the randomizer. I think we at do. this stage we are we should stop calling them challenges and start calling it begging, which is what it really <laughs> is. We're just on bended knees before the yep. randomizer, going, please end end the spate of classic who. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'm mm. going to say, give us more Gene Marsh. Ooh, wow! Oh, wow! You're playing <laughs> with fire there. What if we if if we get the Daleks master plan, dude? Yeah. We, I think we're we have to we'll have another hiatus just to watch it. <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll be back in 2023, folks. Uh, if if that does actually listen to it, but it won't, so we're okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna say there's been a, there were a lot of swords in this episode. Oh, so yeah. take us somewhere with no swords because there's a lot of episodes with swords. Give oh. us an episode with no swords in it whatsoever. Looking at you. Uh, oh God, what's that pirate episode? The, oh, the, yeah, the, the most recent one, Legend of the Sea Devils, or the, no, no, Curse, the Curse of the Black Spot. Curse of the Black Spot. Look yeah. at you, Curse of the Black Spot. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to see you because there's too much swashbuckling. Too, I didn't know if you were going to go for an episode with swords, another episode with swords, another story with swords. I, I couldn't decide or, at the last. And last minute, yeah. I realized, you know what? I'm just, you know, uh, I've been seared by the, you know, stage acting of the sword <laughs> fights in Battlefield, and I just, I don't want to see swords again. I want to see a good blaster, must. man. I'm like Han Solo. <laughs> Be a good blaster. That's all I need. Good, good blaster at your side, kid. Uh, all right. You want, you want to give me the countdown? We'll see. You got the countdown. It's happening yep. in four, three, two, one. Run, you clever boy. 140. It did not listen. Oh, we're, in old we're still in old who, but we, oh, baby. It's the uh-uh. two doctors. <gasps> wow. Boom. Okay. Boom. Multi doctor <laughs> episode. Our of which second. There are only, but there are only three in Classic Who. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it's our second overall because we did the Day of the Doctor. Right. Yes. Have we done any other multi doctors, not counting regeneration episodes? No. I don't think. No. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, the only other one I can think of that isn't is uh deep breath uh, yes. uh which is kind yeah. of a regeneration episode but um, kind of multi-doctor yeah i get where you're going with that but yeah the two doctors interesting we've we've mentioned it briefly we mentioned it both in talking about colin baker and in talking about patrick Troughton. uh it's weird man this one is weird and i did watch it at the yeah. time i don't Speaking remember a lot that much going on it. it's I, like i remember yeah. weird weird ginger patrick Troughton being a mad chef yeah that's well it's it. colin baker again so that's good that's yeah. kind of like one of the i guess so far in the classic who the randomizer really likes threes it likes third third doctor and it likes the sixth doctor because we've done a lot of <laughs> colin baker now i guess we've done some davison too early on it was into davison but this will be interesting yeah the See? second and the sixth together at last the, the pairing that no one was particularly excited to see um <laughs> actually didn't end up too bad 
Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll anyway. we'll, give it, we'll wait, we'll tune in out. next week. We'll figure it out, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Pull to Open. It's a podcast. Hey, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do. There's probably a button somewhere in your app or in whatever app that you are going to be directed to by the web embed you're listening this to. Um, if you're on YouTube, there's definitely a subscribe button. Go ahead and do that. And there's also something with the bell, I think, with the notifications. So turn all that on. And while you're at it, leave a review, leave a comment, follow us on social media. We're at pull to open on TikTok, where we're active a lot. We're always uploading videos. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram at pull to open 63. We're going to see you next time for The Two Doctors. I'm excited. Are you excited, Chris? Yeah, very excited. And uh, one last shout out if you're listening to this podcast on a TARDIS console, turn up the lights. You'll hurt your eyes. Come on, Doctor. All right. We'll see you next time for The Two Doctors. Take care, folks.